Open a Bible with me, if you will, to the second book in your Bible, back to Exodus chapter 19, where we will be reading together here in just a few moments. While you're turning back there, let me take just a moment to say thank you for being here. As has been the case, I think just about every time we've been together this week, we have a number of guests here, and I want you to know how much I really, really appreciate your presence. You're an encouragement to me this evening, and I really appreciate the Zollers being here tonight. I know that that is not an easy thing, and that there have been many, many, many prayers offered for them over the last 24 hours or so. I would certainly encourage you to keep that up, but I want you to know how much I appreciate the fact that you are here this evening under difficult circumstances. Thank you for the invitation to be with you this week. Uh, I have looked forward to this week for a variety of, of different reasons. Uh, in one respect, this is home, and, and it will always be home in, in one aspect of our lives, especially me and Shelley. It is, uh, I think I told you Sunday, always a little weird because I go various places and... Um, you know, throughout the week, I really have to rely on Apple Maps to get around, but it was just weird driving around this week, not not needing really anything, because for, for so long, this was uh, uh, a home to us, and so I appreciate the opportunity to come back to the area, but especially appreciate the opportunity to spend time with you. Even though we lived in this area for 10 years, I really didn't know very many of you as well as I would have liked. And so this has been an encouraging week to me, and I, I appreciate it. Thank you for all of the hospitality in um, a variety of ways. Um, it's been great to be in some of your homes, to, to be across restaurant tables with many of you, um, just spending time together. I have really enjoyed that. If the meal list had remained completely empty, um, I think Regine had given me enough calories on Sunday uh, to take back to the hotel with me that I still wouldn't be hungry, but uh, you have taken such very, very, very good care of me, and I appreciate that. Most of all, I've appreciated our, our time together in worship. Those of you who have led songs and prayers and just been kind and thoughtful in your feedback, thank you. I'm going back home encouraged in many, many ways. And so I appreciate the invitation and those of you who have been here throughout the week, all week long. I mentioned on Sunday and have mentioned a couple of times that I always appreciate hearing that there is some sort of a vision, some sort of a plan for how best to spend weeks like this. And I appreciated that from your shepherds. I would encourage you to continue to be an encouragement to them and thank them for the forethought that went into this week. They, they very deliberately wanted to focus over the course of the last five or six days on what it means to be disciples 
What's it going to look like to be a disciple in 2022 in this part of the world? And so it's been my privilege to look at a a wide variety of topics. We spent a good amount of time just talking about the one that we're called to follow and how awesome he is, even as we've been singing about this evening. We've talked about seeing people the way that he saw people. We've talked about being careful that we respect his authority and and build what he's calling us to build and function as the, the, the priests and the living stones that he is calling us to be. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about a wide variety of aspects of being disciples in the 21st century. I want to draw this little series to a close with you this evening by focusing on the, the faith to wait. It's always a little difficult to know exactly how to draw a series of lessons like this to a close. And I've done it in a, a variety of ways. But as I was thinking about this particular series, this seemed to make good sense in light of everything going on in the world around us. If your Bible is open there to Exodus chapter 19, I want to take you to the foot of Mount Sinai to what must have been a a truly awesome sight. Begin reading with me in verse 1 where we're told on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So in verse 7, Moses came, he called the elders of the people, set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. That the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And so you skip down with me to verse 16. How on the morning of the third day we were told there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. 
You picture this scene in your mind. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Over the course of the next few chapters, we read, of course, about the giving of the Ten Commandments, and people seeing near the end of chapter 20, thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And the people are afraid to get any closer to God. But Moses goes up and he hears all about these plans as God is making these liberated slaves into a nation, a a kingdom of priests and a a light in the world. Turn a few pages over with me to, to Exodus chapter 24. Moses, if time allowed, we could read the first 11 verses or so, how this covenant is once again confirmed. God has given the basics of it, but I'd really like to zero in with you to Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12, where the Lord says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Let's just pause there for a moment. I don't know how many times I had read through this section of Scripture, but only very recently did I notice all of the waiting that goes on. God says to Moses, come up here and wait. So Moses, verse 13, rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait. Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. And so Moses goes up on this mountain and he waits. Have you noticed that before? We've had all of this smoke and cloud and thunder and lightning and rumbling and the, the, the shaking of the entire mountain and, and the giving of the Ten Commandments and the backbone of the law. And now the time has come. God says, Moses, I want you to come up here and I want you to wait. And so Moses tells everybody else, I want you to wait. And in Exodus 24, verse 15, Moses goes up on the mountain. The cloud covers the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwells on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covers that mountain for six days. Moses goes up on this mountain. And as far as we can tell, everything we're told in the text, he waits. He waits. 
Now, I don't know about you, but there are times that I have trouble waiting. I, there are times that young and old, right, we have, we, we have trouble waiting. It's a child's birthday and maybe family or, or only coming over later in the day, but mom or dad lays out some birthday presents in the, the, the living room floor and that child has to wait all day long until the rest of the family is able to get over. Or maybe you've had an extraordinarily busy week, especially in light of everything going on today. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting to clock out at 5 o'clock on Friday. You're waiting, you're anticipating the, the last day of the work so that you can finally retire. Or you've gone to the doctor and, and some tests are run and you're waiting, anxiously waiting on those test results. We all know what it is to wait. It's not all that easy to wait. I've got to imagine if this is all that's going on there, Moses goes up. He's all by himself. He's on that mountain. And an entire day goes by. Nothing. Two days go by. Three, four, five, six days go by. Do you ever notice how only verse 16 on the seventh day does the Lord call to Moses out of the midst of the cloud? Moses waits. But while Moses is hearing all, of course, about the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and the, the table that's going to hold bread inside of the tabernacle and the golden lampstand and the bronze altar and the priest garments and the altar of incense and the bronze basin and, and all of the requirements of the Sabbath day, somebody else is waiting, right? In Exodus 24, verse 17, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses enters the cloud. He goes up on the mountain. He's up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I want you to think. This is April 1st. Your leader has gone up there and no indication as far as we can tell as to how long he's going to be up there. And we don't hear from him. Here we are in the middle of the Sinai desert. And he doesn't come down until May 10th. That's a long time to wait. Only in Exodus 31 and verse 18 does this scene begin to wrap where God has given to Moses. He's, he's finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai. He's got these two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the very finger of God. But if you haven't turned over there, flip with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 32. The reason this is such a valuable lesson is a lot can happen in 40 days. Maybe the faith to wait wanes 
over the course of 40 days. And that's exactly what we read about here in Exodus chapter 32. While Moses is up there over the course of 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus 32 and verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him. Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. It's a valuable lesson for us as, as disciples of Jesus because we've talked about what it means to follow Jesus and who Jesus is, why he's worth following. We've, we've talked about developing that, that heart of Jesus so that not only we're following God, but we're trying to see other people the way that Jesus saw people and, and we're praying. We're dedicated to being the sort of examples in this world that That a darkened world so desperately needs. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for 10 years. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60, 70 years. Believing in God's promises, right? Singing God's promises, Praying God's promises the way that we talked about last night. That's a long time to wait. And maybe as we wait, if we don't very intentionally keep our eyes on the goals that we've been talking about this week and and reminding ourselves of what really matters most, fighting to maintain Genesis 12 sort of hearts in a in a Genesis 11 sort of world, the way that we talked about on Wednesday. Maybe the faith to wait wanes because our patience is running thin. Maybe the faith to wait wanes because of Just an old-fashioned lack of leadership. In verse 2, Aaron hears what they've said. He knows who they're talking about. That's his brother. He's had a front row seat to all of these things. And in that moment, Aaron has a choice to make. I know this isn't right. I know it's, it's embedded in the very first things God told us in those ten great commandments. That we shouldn't do this. And if anybody in the camp needs to speak up in that moment, it's Aaron. But Aaron says, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Bring them to me. You combine a lack of patience and a lack of leadership and a willingness just to ignore what God has said altogether. And it is a very small step to what Scripture in both Old and New Testaments described as a darkened, foolish heart. Verse 3, all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears. They brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with a graving tool, made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
Aaron sees all of this. I'm not sure exactly what's going on in his mind. If he's playing damage control or trying to point the people in a halfway-ish sort of right direction. He builds an altar and makes a proclamation and says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to, to Yahweh, to I Am. And they rose up early the next day. He offered burnt offerings. They brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It is a sad, living color in the flesh description of what the Apostle Paul described for New Testament Christians. In Romans 1 and verse 21, although they knew God, that was true of these people. But it's been a long time and I'm tired of waiting. And I don't really want to listen to anybody who's going to tell me to be patient and wait. And I think I know better. I, I, I think I'm just going to go ahead and do what I want to do. And so I don't honor him as God or, or give thanks to him. I become, as a result, futile in my thinking and my foolish heart. He's provided so much light in my life. But my foolish heart gets darker. I'm claiming to be wise, but playing the part of a fool. I'm exchanging the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and, and creeping things. And this is a really big deal because those who know God and are known by God, when they don't have the faith to wait and determine to just do what they want to do when they want to do it. God doesn't clamp down on them, put them in a leash and collar and force them to abide in Him. He, he gives them up. Because they're more interested in following the lusts of their own hearts, even if it leads into the territory of impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, rather than abiding in the truth of God. No, I'm going to exchange that for a lie. I'm going to worship and serve something I make, really, when push comes to shove, worship myself rather than my creator. Such a sad, timeless example. Would you open with me a little deeper in your Old Testaments to 1 Samuel chapter 13? And with that, that sad example in our minds, could I suggest to you this evening and, and just really encourage you to think on the, the back end of this Discipleship 101 series that we've had. Sometimes the most faithful thing I can do is wait. It was a lesson learned the hard way by King Saul. In 1 Samuel 13, the, the dreaded Philistines are coming. They have 30,000 chariots. They have 6,000 horsemen. They have troops like the sand on the seashore. Saul has been Israel's first king for about two years. His people are hiding in caves and holes and 
tombs and cisterns. Some have already fled to the other side of the Jordan. All of the people that are following him are trembling. And here he is waiting and he waits seven whole days. That that judge and prophet Samuel who's been instrumental in in Saul's awareness of God's will for his life and said, well, I'm going to come. But Samuel hasn't come. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 8 in the way, the time that King Saul had had thought he was. And, and as he looks behind him, all of his people are scattering from him. And so finally, the faith to wait wanes. And he says, bring, verse 9, bring the burnt offering here to me. Bring the peace offerings. He offers those burnt offerings. And as soon as he had finished offering, what only a priest of God, of the tribe of Levi, had to offer, behold, the prophet comes. And Saul, the king, finally goes out to greet him. And Samuel's first words out of his mouth, what have you done? Sometimes the most faithful thing I can do is wait. Wait on the Lord. Trust His timing. Rely on His promises. So, He didn't. He replies in verse 11, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and you didn't come within the days appointed, and the Philistines are gathered together here, I I said, Remember Wednesday night, that Genesis 11 sort of part? I said that that was the authority behind what he does. The, the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I, I forced myself. I knew I shouldn't do it. I knew it was out of bounds. But I Forced myself and I offered the burnt offering anyway. Why? He felt control slipping away. He doesn't understand. Where's Samuel? Why hasn't he arrived already? He he sees a a, a powerful enemy gathering ready to pounce. He, He knows that he's hopelessly outnumbered. And so he gets to the point where he believes my best choice is to force myself to overstep God's instructions. I'm not in control right now. And I like control. And so I'm going to take control back. I'm going to go ahead and do what needs to be done. And I'm going to worry about the consequences later. And Samuel, the prophet of God, says in verse 13, you have done foolishly. It is such a basic lesson. But a lesson that we all, young and old, need to learn. 
Parents and grandparents, we need to make sure that our children and our grandchildren learn this lesson. In an age where many live by the motto, well, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. But if 1 Samuel 13 teaches us anything, it's surely sometimes the most faithful thing I can do. Is wait. On our way to the New Testament, turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 27. I want you to see over and over and over again this consistent reminder to God's children. It is such a, a simple but a powerful, relevant lesson. Psalm 27, verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wonderful belief. But just because I believe that doesn't mean I'm going to see everything that I would love to see when I would love to see it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. A few pages later, Psalm 31, verses 23 and 24. The call to all of his saints is love the Lord. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Look at the children of Israel in Exodus. Look at Saul in 1 Samuel. And here it is again in verse 24. Be strong. Let's forever set aside this idea that, well, if I'm going to be strong, that means I have to be doing something. No, sometimes the strongest thing I can do is patiently wait, full of faith, trusting that someone knows better than I. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. All you who wait on the Lord. It's Psalm 130 verses 3 through 6. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so I wait. Do you see how I can even be forgiven of my sins and still have to wait? Just because I'm waiting doesn't mean God is displeased with me. Just because I don't have what I would like to have or am having to wait much longer than I ever anticipate having to wait doesn't mean that somehow I'm outside of, of the approval of God. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in His Word I hope. So we talked about last night. Is it okay to be heartbroken as we wait? Absolutely is. Is it okay to, to cry as we wait? It absolutely is. Is it okay to be honest with God from heavy hearts while we wait? It absolutely is. 
We know what we're hoping in, in his word. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Before we're done, let's put some New Testament passages on this. If you'll go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. We see that we we don't want to be in this category where the faith to wait wanes. Sometimes the most faithful thing we can do is wait. and, And we hear consistently that call throughout Scripture. So what do I do in the meantime? What do I do while I'm waiting? Number one, I... I need to make sure that I have answered the call. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes to Christians in Corinth and, and assures them, and by extension assures us, God is faithful. If you take nothing else away from our time together tonight, take that away. Those three words. God is Faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're we're called to be a part of something larger than ourselves, called to be a part of the family of God, the household of God, the the holy temple that, that God is building. And it all hinges upon submitting to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone as our Lord. What do I do while I'm waiting? Well, I need to make sure that I've answered the call. And then I need to realize that even as I wait, I'm being sustained. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 4 where Paul writes, I, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait. You are waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the promise of verse 8. Who will sustain you? He will support you. He will supply you. He will keep you to the end. You answer the call. And he will sustain you. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He he promises for those who answer that call and faithfully wait. That strength will be renewed. It's as old as Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. In Isaiah 40 and verse 28, the question is asked, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He he gives power to the faint and to him who has 
No might he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and, and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We began this entire series by talking about abiding in Jesus. What a a beautiful full circle idea that as we answer the call and as we lean on him to sustain us, our strength is renewed as we abide in that vine that we talked about on Sunday morning. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit for. Apart from me you can do nothing. And so throughout this week we've explored what what does that really look like? To be reminded consistently of these things. First John chapter 2 that we've heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 28. Now little children abide in Him so that when He appears. Not if. When He appears. We may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Jude puts it this way. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That leads to eternal life. Before we're done, would you turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 8. And so... In the meantime, we answer that call. We're sustained. Our our strength is renewed as we abide in Jesus and and we wait. But we're, we're not waiting alone. We wait with the creation all around us. Have you ever thought about that in light of Romans chapter 8 and verse 18? There's sufferings in this present time? Most certainly they are. But sufferings not comparable with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The creation waits. Is it okay to eagerly long? The creation is. For the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly. But because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know, Paul says. That the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait. Is it okay to groan inwardly? It 
absolutely is. But we groan as those who know how this story ends. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 6, we wait with those who have passed on. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, John, in, in the midst of this incredible vision that we talked just a little bit about on Sunday morning, said in verse 9, I, I saw under the altar the, the, those who had been slain for the word of God and, and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They were given, John saw, a white robe and told, wait, rest a little longer. And so, as disciples of Jesus, we remind ourselves that one of the most faithful things we can possibly do is wait. But praise God that we don't wait alone. We wait with each other. I would, would really encourage you, especially after the last couple of very challenging years that we've talked about in a, a variety of, of different ways. Resolve. Don't ever take each other granted. Don't ever take being able to assemble together without a thought in the world about being separated from one another for weeks or months on end. Don't, don't take that blessing for granted. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Peter closes out his last written communication with these words. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in Lives of holiness and godliness. Waiting. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Waiting in verse 13 for new heavens and a new earth. In which righteousness dwells. Sometimes the most faithful thing we can do is wait. We're going to stand and, and we're going to sing a song of encouragement that really challenges you not to wait if you don't have this hope we've been reading about the last couple of minutes. There are 
people in this room who are faithfully waiting because they have been reconciled to the God of heaven and earth. And hopefully it comes through loud and clear in what we've seen from God's word together this evening by waiting. We're not talking about doing nothing. We're we're, we're talking about abiding. We're talking about living with God-given perspective. But if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not like that grafted-in branch of the vine that we, we began talking about on Sunday morning, then could I challenge you to realize that the worst thing you could possibly do this evening is to wait. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, as Paul recounts his own conversion, his own reconciliation to God, he's he's very straightforward in saying, "I, I needed to hear, why are you waiting? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Whomever you are this evening, if you're willing to take that step, we want you to understand in no uncertain terms, you can leave this building being able to say, as we've noted all week long, I am his and he is mine. If we can help you in any way, we want to sing about this amazing grace of God. If we can be of any assistance to you whatsoever, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?